Hey, listeners, if you are thinking about divorce and concerned about your children, please go to my online parenting plan course. It will help you plan how you're going to parent through divorce and beyond. And I promise you, it will keep conflicts from erupting in the future while keeping you centered on your children. Check it out at lisakoski.com. Welcome to Doing Divorce Different. Join family law attorney turned mediator, Lisa Kosky, for candid conversations on how to alleviate the fear of divorce and how to heal through empowerment. Now your host, Lisa Kosky. Welcome listeners. I'm thrilled to have Lucia Ramirez Levias with us. Did I say that right, Lucia? You did. You got it. She's nodding yes, but I'm really excited to talk to Lucia because she is a collaborative law attorney. And we've talked about collaborative law on my podcast before, but we're going to go in a little bit deeper about it. And before we go into collaborative law, I want to find out a little bit more from Lucia about what led her as a family attorney to work towards helping people really work together and not fight it out in court. So welcome, Lucia. We're thankful that you took the time to be here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Do you want to give us your background story as to what led you to do this work? Yeah, sure. It's funny because doing collaborative divorces for me is almost a full circle because before I went to law school, I worked in the nonprofit sector. So I was, for about eight years, I took off between undergraduate and going to law school. I worked with families and youth, and particularly teenagers were doing youth development work. And so my whole world back then was about developing programs to empower kids and to work with their parents in a way to um, support the kids that may be going through difficulties and that kind of thing. A A lot of the kids were at risk, youth considered that. And so when I went to law school, I went to law school thinking I was going to be just shifting away from that entirely because I also have a personal interest in immigration law. I thought that's what I wanted to do. But everybody at law schools kept on telling me, you'd be great at family law because of my background working with families and youth. And I kept trying to get away from family law, (laughs) (laughs) but I just kept on getting pushed back into it, realizing that. The opportunities just kept on popping up. And so when I finally found a little firm in Seattle that was really, in my my estimate, doing family law differently, really looking at family law and transitions in lives like divorce is really a beginning rather than an end. And yes, there is an ending, but I think if it's done courageously, there can be this really wonderful new beginning. And it's really been very inspiring work. However, doing family law, you still are doing litigation for most of the, for the most part. You try to get your clients to settle and you try to mediate and you try to stay out of court. And I think a lot of family law attorneys try to do that. But at the end of the day, that's your option if you can't figure it out. You're stuck with that one option, which is to go to court, which is incredibly stressful on the family. It's so divisive. The, the mudslinging that goes on. And the impact on the children is really devastating to have their parents duke it out in court. And because my work before law school was really around advocating for kids, 
in a way, I saw myself wanting to get back into sort of advocating for children, even though I'm representing their parents, but in figuring out a way that how can I help these parents minimize the impact of this divorce on these kids? Because at the end of the day, they care most about their children. That's their priority for the most part. And, and that's something that's really important to me too. So after doing um, traditional family law for about 12 years and doing litigation and going to court and seeing those negative impacts of court, it was around that time that COVID hit and there was just so much going on in the world that was making things harder on families, online school and for kids and, and parents who aren't getting along great, having kind of stuck in the home together. And there just was so much pressure to add litigation and court and divorce on top of that. I thought there's got to be a better way. So that's when I really, I knew about collaborative divorce, but that's when I really decided to commit myself to getting, to, to engage in it and get the, the trainings and get all the things I needed to get done to really be able to practice it. So like I said, for me, it was almost like coming back to my original passion, which was around helping families and youth and being able to couple that now with my law degree and what I knew about what could happen in court and bring those two things together, bring that sort of ability to facilitate and, and work with a family and sort of more of those kind of almost counseling social work skills that I had developed before I went to law school and then bring that into a divorce setting and collaborative divorce was sort of the perfect marriage for those. Yeah. Now I know why we were drawn to each other as you're talking. I love getting to know people like you because my main focus is the children. And I have a different background too. <coughs> Excuse me. But doing this so that the kids can have a better life after divorce helps the children and it helps the parents have peace of mind as they're going through this. So for some of my listeners who haven't listened to my podcast where I talk about collaborative law, can you just explain how it's different than fighting it out in court? How does it work? Yeah, so it's really different because it is a special process that the couple opts into. And so they actually sign a contract with each other that says, we agree that we will not go to court. We agree that is not an option. That's not going to be put out on the table. It's not going to be used as a threat against the other person. And so that's the crux of it is they are really opting into it and they're waiving their right to go to court in that process. There are ways that they could, if they really had to get out of the process and go, but generally speaking, they're saying, no, that's not for us. And the minute you take that threat of court off the table, it's like the collective sigh of relief. Okay. I'm not as scared as I was before because before I was worried he was going to take me to court for the custody or the money or when you had this backdrop of this threat, it's like trying to reach an agreement, but with this big threat in the background. And once you take that off, okay, this is actually going to be up to us. What's best for our family? So that's what you start to engage in is a process of figuring out what is the best settlement for your family, for your unique needs of your family and for your children. And you don't do it alone. And that's what's really important about the collaborative divorce process. You have a team, you have a whole professional team that is all wanting what's best for your family. 
So you have a collaborative attorney, your spouse has a collaboratively trained attorney, then you have a divorce coach on your team, and you have a financial neutral. And those are normally the, the, the core professionals. And so it's a group of six people that are really trying to get this couple to a durable agreement that they feel like they can live with and it's sustainable. Not, okay, I signed it, but now I'm mad. And the next morning I'm going to do something because I'm angry about this. No, it's it, the idea is for it to be a durable, sustainable agreement. And, and it takes hard work to do. In some mm-hmm. ways, going down to the courthouse and having a judge decide is easier. It's not going to be a durable, sustainable agreement, but sometimes people say, well, that's just easier. This is hard work, but that's why you need that team. Yeah, And it's been really incredible to see. Yeah, it's amazing. And I work with collaborative law attorneys all the time. I love them and they're my favorite ones to work with because they get the process. And I just want to state, so how this is different than what I do. And I always give, when I do a consultation, they get the whole gamut of the options out there. So when they work with me, I'm an attorney turned mediator. I hold their hand through the process of divorce. We work together. We design their own divorce. We go through all the paperwork, but I can't give any legal advice. I can only give legal information. So if we're going through it and I feel like somebody's needing a little advice, say they get the information about spouse maintenance, but they need a little bit more, then I have that person go off and get some advice from hopefully a collaborative law attorney who understands this process. So my process is a little bit different than yours. So when you're collaborative, you each are represented by an attorney. So you do have that person advising you individually. So it's just a little bit of a step up in what I'm doing a little bit more. And I want to say, I have collaborative law attorneys that will, I have a parenting plan course. So it's a full fledged parenting plan that is really economical and they will send their clients to do that course. I try to give them everything I give them in person. So that saves them some money. And then they go ahead and use it as part of their divorce paperwork. So I don't know, are you doing parenting plans out there in Washington? Yeah, we do parenting plans, but that's primarily the coach's role. So that coach person that I talked about, the divorce coach, they're the ones setting side meetings with the couple to start working through the parenting plan. And so that's done sometimes in separate meetings. And then sometimes we all come back and and discuss it together. And then we also can bring a child specialist into our team if we want to. And that is somebody who actually talks to the children. Mm -hmm. So the coach works with the parents. But if you need to hear the children's voices for whatever reason, or maybe there's some issues going on, mental health issues with an adolescent or learning disability issues, and you need somebody to get the voice of the children, then we, and then you can bring that person to your team and they meet with the children and then they come back and report what the children's view is. That's and, we, and, and that is how they do it in Minnesota as well. There's a therapist that's part of that. I don't, I think there's divorce coaches. I'm not positive, mm-hmm. but I know that there are therapists. And I know even in my mediations, if we want to get a child-centered mediation and we want to get that child's voice without putting them through, we do the same thing where I will have the child meet with a therapist and then that therapist actually comes to the mediation session and speaks for the child. Mm-hmm. So an important piece 
to all of this. So, Lucia, I have to ask you, have you been through divorce? Were you the child of divorce? Is there divorce anywhere in your life? I have been impacted by divorce, but I would say indirectly because my parents remained married through their um, life. But my father's first marriage, um, where my three half brother, he had my three half brothers, that dissolved that marriage. And my father actually was the first man in the state where he was living at the time to get full custody. Oh, wow. Very unusual. And this is in the late 60s. So very unusual and, and only really in unique situations would that be appropriate. But what that meant was that for me, since I came along after he had met my mom, my brothers or my brothers, I didn't even really think that they were half brothers. I didn't really think much of it because they lived with mm -hmm. us. Then of course, like on Christmas, there would be things I hear my dad say, why don't you guys go say, stop by your mom's house, their mother's house. Cause they did have some contact with her, but they lived with us. And things like that. So it, so I saw, first of all, a dad, my dad, take responsibility for, for my brothers in a way that was really important at that time because of what was going on with their mom. And so that was incredible for me to see my dad in that role. I also saw my father continue to contribute financially to her well beyond whatever a divorce court might say, because that's the mother of his sons. Mm -hmm. He wants to be able to support that. And then I also saw the negative impact of kids who were, were the reasons that were involved in that case, not able to have a shared parenting with their mother. And that was a negative impact on my brothers, even though it may have been with what was going on at that time in their best interest and the best thing for them because of the circumstances. But anyway, so I was around it, but you know what? I never really connected that to why I wanted to do this work until much later. It was something that I obviously was part of me, but I didn't really ever connect to realizing that maybe that's why I wanted to do this. And maybe that's why I wanted to do it in a way that, that has the least impact on children mm -hmm. because I can see, I see the neg I saw the negative impact of it. I also saw how it can be done. There was just so much there. Like, again, like the generosity was there, but at the same time, there were circumstances that required my dad to step up and be the full-time parent. And that was very difficult. Yeah. What a great example your dad was for you to see. And when you talk collaborative and he's paying for the mother of his boys well beyond what he needed to. That's amazing. And I'm almost wondering if that led you into your first career, maybe seeing and, and dealing with that. And then your eyes, isn't it interesting how then your eyes were even open more mm -hmm. to what those kids are suffering through. And mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I love that. I love how we, I love how people are open to learning and seeing things and then going on and helping people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it did. I was the youngest. So it ended up being five of us, my brother and my sister, and I was the youngest. And I think that position in my family gave me this viewpoint of able to see a lot of things going on, but not really being necessarily impacted and being able to see that mm -hmm. dynamic and see where I wanted to like mend and help and bring peace and 
and those kinds of things. So I do think reflecting back, that was a, that was something that developed in me that I didn't really become aware of until later. And even just like now, really talking through it. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? I know it's so interesting because as you were talking to, and you said, bringing peace, I can walk right along with you there because I went to law school and something about it didn't fit because I am a peacemaker. I am a peacemaker. I want to help people see each other's issues. We're both doing it in different ways. But you're and you are doing that. And I do see it as a peaceful process and it saves time. It saves money. You design your own divorce. But the bottom line is I would pay more for the process than I would want to pay to fight it out because it's so detrimental. And yes, there are times when it's necessary. And I don't know if you want to talk about those, but there are times when, are there times, let me ask you that. I know there are times when a mediation isn't going to work. Are there times when collaborative law isn't going to be the answer? Yeah, I think there are. And I screen for the cases before I suggest or talk about mm-hmm. even collaborative as, a, as an option, because it's, in my view, domestic violence is one of the one of the areas that we really cannot have a collaborative process at all. And and then I think also there may not be domestic violence that is would be defined by the court as domestic violence, meaning there may not have been physical harm, but sometimes there's a power dynamic in a relationship that is so strong and one person is just even with a team going to be very difficult to feel that they can come forward with what they want and feel like they can express themselves. And the other person may be so domineering and intimidating to that person that it's just not going to emotionally, even with all the support, be a safe place for the for that couple to resolve things. So those are normally, that's my at least initial screening around is whether and what the power dynamics are. A lot of the power, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that you're bringing that up because I don't know. I think of it as abuse, financial abuse or verbal abuse or whatever it is. Sometimes that's hard to detect. But I guess I will say in my consultations too, I generally can pick up on if that is going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. And I've wondered if sometimes, and there are some collaborative law attorneys that say in certain circumstances, even if there is that imbalance, as long as that other party is supported and represented, it can be okay. So I think it's probably a fine line that you have to walk. I think it is. There, there, the collaborative process in some ways is for some families that are having those power dynamics actually a better process. So you really do have to assess each one. Because sometimes having that coach there, because we have the coach at every meeting, for example, and they are an MSW in in, in Washington. Where we oh, do. the coaches are? That's yep. not true here. Okay. Yeah. That's our, coaches are, our coaches are, yeah, masters in social work. So they're trained. They aren't serving yep. in a, as a therapist in that role, but they are very attuned to those kinds of dynamics and understanding. So a lot of times when you just have some power dynamics, the coach can step in and help with that. And you don't, and you can do it collaboratively, but if they're just so extreme then, or if there's physical abuse and those kinds of things, then it's not the right process. So yeah, you're right. You do have to find that there is a line and you have to 
screen for that and think about it. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I've found that sometimes it's even harder to find because a lot of times the people, the couple has they've been in this pattern for so long that they don't even recognize the emotional abuse. They don't recognize that they are being emotionally abusive yeah. or that they have lost their power because they're just, that's just the way they are. And so you really have to dig deep and, and figure out what's going on in that dynamic. I so agree. And I think too, as you were talking about that, I thought they don't even understand that they're maybe being coerced or abused, but sometimes you don't even know what the issue is until you start peeling that onion back a little. So there's a little bit of detective work involved in this. I never really thought about that until you were just talking now. But there really is because you don't want to set anyone up to be in a, a bad situation. I have to ask you, Lucia, do you also practice law and litigate sometimes or are you fully collaborative? Yeah, I still do. So I'm building my collaborative practice. So I've been building it over the past two or three years. So I'm starting to, the idea is to get more and more collaborative. Yeah. We have litigation cases for sure. That's a an interesting kind of thing to have to turn on and off. Oh, yeah. Because you know, I'll be in court doing a litigation case and then I'm going to my collaborative meeting and it's almost like I have to change my clothes. You got to do a little deep breathing, get back yeah. in that mind frame. <laughs> it's really different with the other attorney too, because in collaborative, the other attorney is your counterpart. They're mm -hmm. also on the team and, and the, their client, you're also concerned about making sure that this is a durable agreement for them, making sure that they're going to be financially okay. And all of those things you're reaching across the table and working together. And in an adversarial divorce a more traditional divorce, you're you are looking out for your client's interests mm -hmm. and your client's interests only. And that is your job is to advocate for them. And, and so it's really different. The dynamic between the two lawyers is really different. And Lucia, that's where I can run into a pickle. If I'm working with two people who want to work together and someone's doing something that's maybe very generous and they want to do it. And then I might say, you might want to talk to an attorney, make sure you're advised on this. And if they go to someone who's really get your fight face on, that can throw us back a little bit. And so I need to make sure that I prepare my clients to understand that attorneys are there to advise and to get all your rights out. So remember, you're doing this jointly and designing it yourself. So it is totally different hats, both very necessary. I think I, I can't help it. I love the collaborative process. I volunteer in conciliation court. I don't know about all kinds of the laws that I help them come to agreements over. And I think it, it's, it's just so fun to be able to work together to give people the opportunity to create an agreement together rather than just usually it ends up being about the same thing anyway, but you save time and money and you come up with it yourself. So yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And I Go think ahead. We, I think of it sometimes as sometimes your clients need to know about the, we call them sort of the bumpers. We think about it in terms of like the realm of reasonable as most of the lawyers have seen that the court will do and those kinds of things. They need some kind of sort of bumpers. Yeah. And in the collaborative process, we might talk about those. We will talk about those all together. So, because lawyers have different opinions and that kind of yeah. thing. But if the parties want to go outside the bumpers and do right. something different, that's okay. 
we just are all okay with that. We're all making sure that everybody says, okay, that's different. For example, Mm -hmm. in the state of Washington, we are community property states. So inheritance, for example, is something that is not typically divided in Mm -hmm. as part of your marital division of property. But sometimes it just might make sense for this couple. Hey, we were counting on that inheritance. We we didn't put much into our retirements because we knew it was coming. And yeah, it's coming from your family. It's okay to, I I don't mind, maybe one spouse, I don't mind sharing that because we sort of knew that was our future. And now you're not going to have that just because it happened to come to me only. I'd like to share that. And a litigation attorney might say, you can't, it's a separate party. Exactly. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's And a collaborative attorney might say, okay, that's going to, that's, that is still considered separate property, but that I can see how that makes sense for your family. And that's something that you guys have relied on is in terms of your future. And that's okay. As long as everybody knows that's might be outside of that, again, realm of possibility if you went to court, but guess what? You're not going to court. So that's the great thing. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever heard anyone state it as well as you just did. I love that. I love how you just explained that. And that is it. That is what it is. Designing your own divorce, doing it different. And I can't believe the time. And so now I have to rein it in. I'm in my barn here, so I'm going to rein it in. And I want to just get a key takeaway for my listeners from you, something they can do right now. It can be something you already said, but just something that you'd like to leave them with. So one of the first things that we ask our clients to do in the collaborative divorce process is think about their high end goals. And so I think what would be a great exercise for people in terms of a takeaway is start thinking about those high-end goals, those things that when you're visualizing what you want at the end of the divorce, what are those things that you're really wanting to keep top of mind? Some of them might be things like, I want to make sure that our children feel like they can have free communication with us regardless of whose home they're in. It might be I want to make sure that I can still retire when I'm 65. I want to make sure I want to learn how to balance a budget because it's my first time doing a household budget. And that's one of my goals was to be able to feel confident in balancing my own household budget. So think about, I would say you can do that just sitting in bed at night or in the morning or writing down some of those, what I would consider those high end goals, because those are your guideposts. Mm-hmm. as you're working through the divorce process. And if you write them down and you can change them, but if you write them down, they start to guide you. And when things get difficult and when you want to go to some of those old habits, you can pull that out and look at it and be reminded of, okay, where do I really want to go with this process? Love that. Love it. Love it. We are going to have your information in the show notes, but where can people reach you if they need help out in Washington? Yeah, so you can come to our website. My law firm is Dubois Levias Law Group, and it's www.duboislaw.net. And that's D-U-B-O-I-S is how you spell DuboisLaw.net. Perfect. And like I said, it'll be in the show notes. It's been a pleasure. I am truly grateful. I enjoyed this conversation immensely, even more than I thought I would. I knew I was going to, but it was really fun to get to know you. It was great talking to you, too. All right. Take good care, Lucia. Thank you for listening to the Doing Divorce Different podcast. Connect with us at lisakoski.com and sign up for our newsletter.